Good morning. I want to welcome you to worship this morning. Uh, I'm glad that you're all here, and if you're new, we want to thank you for choosing to worship with us this day. Uh, those that are worshiping online, uh, welcome to this time. I'm Pastor Jeff Dadisman, and we are live streaming this morning from St. John's United Methodist Church here in Davenport, and I invite you to uh, focus your heart on Christ as we begin our worship together. Please stand and join me in the call to worship this morning. Jesus called his disciples from a life of fishing for fish and equipped them to go out and fish for people. Lord Jesus, Jesus you, you challenge us to be authentic, authentic in our, our practice, practice of faith, faith and, and real about our struggles on the journey, journey of, faith. of faith. Jesus proclaimed a kingdom in which the first would be last and the last would move to the front of the line. Jesus, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom in which believers would love justice, seek mercy, and walk humbly before a watching world. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let us worship God with our, all our hearts. Amen. pray. Everlasting Father, we praise you for the many blessings that you have given us, and we humbly come before you now recognizing that we are unworthy, yet you love us even despite ourselves. We praise you for waking us up this morning and providing the opportunity to gather and worship, meeting us right as we are, but loving us too much to leave us this way. We are expectant to experience you today. As we reflect on our tainted lives, we recognize the need for a Savior, and we praise you for the love that, has sent, that you have sent Jesus to cover our sins so that we can stand firm in our faith. Open our hearts and minds to receive the words that you have for us today as you use Pastor Jeff to deliver them. Everlasting Father, Thank you for hearing our hearts and providing our needs. We love you, and we lift our voices together in the prayer that you have taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This morning's scripture lesson is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We continue in our, our Sermon on the Mount series, and we come to a, a very specific verse known as the Golden Rule. And, and it kind of rolls right past us in that last couple verses that Kim read. It said, treat people the same as you want them to treat you. And maybe you've learned it previously. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus is talking about uh, relationships in the community of believers. Relationships are very important, uh, very important part of our lives. And as Jesus comes towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He begins to focus everything that he's saying, and, and just before he, he makes this call to commitment to all those who are gathered on the mountain, and, and that's kind of where we're going as I end this series, I'm going to invite you to kind of renew uh, your commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. And in the olden days, we would have said there's an altar call didn't have a wooden railing or anything, but, but he invited people to kind of step up and, and step into the family of God, the new kingdom that he was describing. So before he gets to that part, before he wraps it all up, this one verse kind of captures everything that has been revealed so far. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Old Testament, you, you've got all these references to Moses said, Moses said. And so in the golden rule, Jesus kind of pulls together uh, the sermon, the Ten Commandments, all that Moses said, all, all the history of the Old Testament, and it comes down to one verse. Jesus was very good at that. Um, I mean, he's questioned all during his ministry, you know, what's the one thing that I need to do? What's the greatest commandment? I mean, people were playing all these games with what God had revealed in the Old Testament, trying to distill it down, and, and the great rabbis had kind of practiced. Everybody had their one thing. And so when they came to Jesus, they're comparing, what do you say would be the one thing? And all the way down to the, the individual conversations of, I, I feel like I'm missing something. What's the one thing? that I need to do. And, and Jesus seemed to be able to get a hold of the nugget and put it out there. And, and He begins His very first sermon, He does that as well. The one thing, 
the, the law and the prophets, all the ethical teaching of the Old Testament, if you distilled it down to one thing, it would be that golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So again, I'm going to say the, the Sermon on the Mount is about the community of believers that are, that are growing around Jesus. The character qualities, the, uh, the lifestyle qualities of followers of Jesus. That's what he's aiming at. I, I want you to be different than the world. And so as we think about the need for community, uh, that need has been very much revealed in the last year and a half uh, with COVID, all the limitations, the restrictions. For five months, um, our staff here led worship in front of a blank room. That was really hard. It's really hard to preach to empty pews. It's really hard to, to only look at all of you online, and, and for most of that time, I was on my couch. I was sitting there just like you are today, and, and that was all that worship could be. I, I sat with my family. Uh, my college daughter was home from college, and so she was there on the couch with us, but it's not quite the same as the people of faith gathered and I think that lack revealed the essence of, of what Jesus is pulling together here. Uh, God made us to be social beings. Our souls are satisfied at a deeper level as we're with other people. And when we gather with those who also believe, who are also going in the same direction, who are on the path that Jesus described, the, there is a deeper, richer quality to life. You know, so this is all about the community and the benefit of being connected with other people. God did not intend for us to go through life uh, solo, without friends. So to be disconnected has an effect. To strip all that away does something to a person. And I'd like to share a story um, from history, and, and you know who this is, but maybe you don't know this part of his story. Lee was a young boy whose life began with a, a lot of disadvantages. Uh, his mother was very harsh and domineering. Uh, she had three different husbands. She found it difficult to express love uh, to anyone. Her second husband divorced her because she beat him up. Lee's father was the third husband, and before he was even born, that husband died of a heart attack and so he came into a world in, in which his mom was required to work just to make ends meet. Uh, she really had no time for him when she wasn't working. The neighborhood children had little to do with him. And so he ended up alone, kind of ostracized, left out of things. Uh, when he was uh, 13, he began to realize um, he couldn't connect with anybody at school. Uh, the girls didn't want anything to do with him, and the boys, he was always in a fight, and so he's at odds he was left out. He was just uh, having a difficult time fitting in. Even though he had a high IQ, he was failing. He dropped out of school at 16, and, and then he decided to join the Marines. He listened to the ads. They said, we build men, and he desperately wanted to become one. But his problems went with him. You can just imagine having trouble following rules, directions, following orders, did not endear him to the Marines. 
He ended up fighting back at every point and resisting uh, what was being required of him, and so he was court-martialed and discharged. There he was, a young man in his early 20s, absolutely friendless. Uh, His life was a shipwreck. He was small, scrawny, no skills, no self-worth. He decided to leave the country and to live abroad and start over. And he found a, a, a love there and he got married. But she also came from a very rough background. And when they moved back to America uh, to begin a life, uh, she began to treat him just like everyone else treated him, with disrespect and contempt. Even though they had two small children, uh, he was not given any respect for being a father, and he seemed unable to find the closeness of a family that he had imagined. And instead of her becoming an ally against a bitter and difficult world, she became his most vicious opponent, and eventually she threw him out. On his own, he got a job, and as he uh, scrimped and saved, um, he swallowed his pride, and he came home one last time, and he had $78. And that was one of the issues. He just couldn't provide. And so he came with a peace offering. And as he presented that to her, she laughed at him in front of several friends that were also in the house, in front of the kids. And at that point, uh, life just kind of collapsed on top of him, and he fell to the floor weeping. And when he finished weeping, he walked out. And he kind of made a resolution that he would just not try, not trust, and it changed him. He was shattered. He wasn't just shipwrecked, but he was shattered. And the next day, he walked out of his apartment different. He went to the garage at home where he had hidden a a rifle. He went to his new job on the third floor of a book warehouse, and a little after noon on that day, November 22, 1963, He was the one who shot the President John F. Kennedy. Many of you probably remember that day. The news media would have, uh, the video would have played over and over and over for you on the news that week, that month. But maybe you didn't know the rest of the story. Lee Harvey Oswald was rejected, and he killed the man who represented for all of us more than any other in that era, success, wealth, family, happiness, beauty, all of that Kennedy had, and Lee had found none of that. Brokenness affects us, alienation, isolation, that aloneness, when we're made to be connected to others, can warp the way we see the world. Lee Harvey Oswald is an example of where that brokenness can lead. You never know when there's somebody nearby that's hurting that could use a a hand of encouragement, a hug, some expression uh, of caring. You never know who around you God might be nudging you to include, to reach out to. There is a growing hunger in our society. People are asking, how can I connect with God? Can anyone help me? And the Bible says that Jesus came to earth precisely to do that, to bridge the separation between God and people, to show us how to connect with God. 
That's why Jesus came, and, and that's why we share Christ in this day, is because people are still longing, just as, as they did when Jesus walked among us here on earth in history. People had a longing. Is God real? Is there any way to know? We have as our mission uh, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Disciple-making begins at that point of reaching out to those who are seeking, those who are hungry, those who are hurting, those who are desperate. God has us here for a purpose. And making disciples is not an easy process. It's hard to do life together with people that you don't necessarily click with or like sometimes, or that you're at odds or you get out of sorts. I mean, it takes effort to stay in community. And so the community has to be intentional, but individuals also have to open themselves and to trust. So in this uh, short passage out of the Sermon on the Mount, there are two things that, that I'd like to touch on. It's how do we have a relationship with God? And how do we get our relationship with others right? It's not just the vertical, it's also uh, the, the horizontal. How do we find God and how do we stay connected to others? Jesus said in these verses uh, to ask and to seek and to knock, and it connects with what God said to Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 20, 29 of Jeremiah. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. And Jesus said it this way, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find to him who knocks, it will be opened. So what parent among you, when a child asks for bread, will give them a stone? If a child asks for fish, would you offer to them a snake? If you, being sinful parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven respond to your request? And as I read this, I, I, I think this is a brilliant way for Jesus to offer what he's offering. How do we have a relationship with God? You know, in all the things that, that we do as parents, you know, if your kids or grandkids said, I'm hungry, are you going to give them a rock? You know, or if they say, I'm hungry, are you going to offer to them a snake? Um, who would do that? And, and so the, the key phrase here is how much more then... And repeat after me. How much more? How much more? One more time. How much more? That, that's the point that, that Jesus wants us to feel. God is invisible. God's unknown. God's kind of high and lifted up. You've got all the prophets talking about how grand and glorious and, and big God is. And, and Jesus is the first person in history on earth to suggest that, that you can reach out to God, and he called him Abba, a term of endearment, daddy. Nobody had ever said God could be called like that. And so Jesus does it again here, just like he did in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, the first time anybody had ever dared to say God is like a, an earthly, loving father. There was a time in our family where um, Susan was asking, and I didn't even know, 
Uh, we had four kids. We, we had moved to Omaha to a church there, and that church didn't have a pastor house. Um, both pastors got to buy a house, and so we were excited to buy a house. We just got into a house, first time at age 40, to even try to buy a house, and we didn't get that much. And, and our fourth baby arrived, and it was our little Danielle here, who's uh, 21 this fall. So, so 20 years ago, we're, we're in this small house. It's kind of tight, and, and she's sleeping in our bedroom, just in a, a little portable crib right beside our bed and crying away, you know, every night. And we're a little frazzled as new parents. Uh, it's the fourth time, but it's still, here's another new one. And, and I didn't know what Susan was saying in her prayer time. Uh, I got up, got ready, went to the church and related to adults. And every time I came home, she was like, Ugh, you know, there's nowhere to turn. We're just really kind of close. And, and she started praying, God, can you give us a little more house? And, and she had broached the topic with me, but I'm like, I can't afford any more house. We borrowed from your parents and my parents just to get this house. How are we going to get more house? Um, and, and so that was kind of the end of the discussion from my side. And, and she continued to ask and to knock and to seek. And, and we suffered for a while. And, and then my senior pastor said, um, I have somebody that wants to to sell a house to a pastor, and, and they're bugging me and bugging me, and, and, and he was a very well-to-do member, and he's like, I don't want this house. Can I, over lunch, let's go out to lunch, and can I show you the house that's being offered to one of us? And, and his hinting was, you could really do me a big favor if you'd say you like this house. And, and so we did lunch, and we went, and I'm like, wow, this is a big house. You know, I had four bedrooms. Um, I mean, it just lots of room. And, and I went home to Susan. I said, I don't know what to say. And she's like, yes, you know, <laughs> you know there is a God. Well, the fifth one was going to be a playroom. But the bottom line was Danielle got to have her own room. And, and so I said, there's no way we can do this. And the, the owner says, I'll, you know, let me figure it out. You know, and, he, and he did a little creative financing so that uh, we could do that. And, and as we got into this house, we're, we're, we're learning what it takes to take care of a house. Um, every church that has a parsonage, you know, you take care of that for the pastor. And that's what we had enjoyed uh, for 12 years up to that time. And, and as God answered the, the seeking, the asking, the knocking on her part, um, being a homeowner, as you know, if you own a house, you have to fix the roof and, and there were things happening to this house. The deck was falling apart on the back, and, and the roof had holes in it, and didn't notice that, you know, in the handoff and the purchase. And all of a sudden, we came down to this verse and, and said, well, you know, we asked, and, and God gave us this gift of a, a chance to own a house that had room. And we began to encourage each other every day that there was something that broke, and we had to figure out how to pay for it. It's not a rock. I said, God gave us this house. It's not a rock. If, if we ask for bread, is God going to give us a rock? And so our kind of code encouragement, uh, hey, something, you know, I get a call, uh, something else went wrong, um, and I'd say, it's not a rock. And, and that's the way we kind of helped ourselves through that period with this very verse, that, that sometimes we ask and seek and knock 
and, and then God responds and you're feeling stuck like, I didn't want this. What Jesus is inviting us to here is, is to press into our spiritual journey with a wholehearted pursuit of God. And Jesus is saying that if you persist, God promises to open the door. So what about the golden rule? Uh, how do we do this relating to other people? I found a couple different versions uh, of Proverbs that would probably fit with this golden rule that come from other systems of belief at the time that Jesus was on earth. And if you think about our culture, I would say our cultural golden rule is this. Do unto others before they do unto you. Does that ring a bell? Does that ring true? That, that a lot of times we operate in that way. I'm going to do unto you before you do unto me. And it's not necessarily a blessing that we're seeking to do, if we're honest. Jesus said, do unto others as you'd like them to do unto you. Treat others as you'd like them to treat you. Confucius said, what you do not want done to yourself, don't do to others. The Stoics, who were philosophers just a couple hundred years before Jesus, the Greeks, what you do not wish to be done to you, do not wish on anyone else either. There was a Greek philosopher at the time of Christ, and he tweaked that a little bit to say, what you avoid suffering yourself, seek not to inflict on your neighbor. And then we can go back to the Old Testament. What is hateful to you, do not pass on to others. All of them have this in common. They're all saying, don't do something. And Jesus was the first one to say it in a positive way. And the positive is far more searching than the negative. The negative prohibition is simply a passive sitting there. Don't do what you don't want done to you. Um, don't do, don't inflict on somebody else what you don't want inflicted on you. It's a passive position. Jesus says, do to others what you'd like them to do to you. Take the first step. Act first. Don't wait for them. Forgive first. Care first. Reach out first. Say hi first. Don't wait for those to initiate. But he's saying, be the initiator because you are committed to me. The followers of Jesus Christ are to do more than just not harm another person. It's not enough just to not break up someone else's marriage, but pray that it would be put back together again. It's not enough just not to steal. God wants us to be generous with what we have. It's not enough just not to harm another person. We're to seek to make things right and to bring justice in our community. It's not enough just not to perpetrate something against another neighbor. That's the Ten Commandments. And again, the golden rule is a summary of the Ten Commandments, and it's not enough just to keep the Ten Commandments, Jesus is saying. We need to initiate, to take a step. And if everybody acted on the golden rule, there would be no slavery or war, robbery or lying. The world would be overrun with justice and mercy and grace. Will you pray with me? Lord God, these words 
continue to challenge us. Uh, The golden rule seems fairly simple at face value. And yet as we pause here, as we uh, unpack it, we're struck by how uh, unique the wisdom of Jesus was. We're struck by how uh, deep Jesus pushed his followers to go in their commitment, in their faith. And it did stand the test of time. Uh, Eventually, as they went out from their home areas, they turned the world upside down with their expression of the love of God and love of neighbor. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do the same again today. Amen. As we end, uh, the takeaway I want you to, to have today is that little phrase where Jesus is saying, if you then, as, as sinful families, know how to give good gifts, how much more? Say it one more time. How much more? How much more? Will God bless you? Amen.